Welcome to Grace on the Go. This podcast is designed so that you can take grace with you anywhere you go. This episode is a sermon from Sunday, May 26, 2019 called On the Go, given by Pastor Jonathan Dinger. The scripture passage highlighted for today's sermon comes from the book of Acts, chapter 16, verses 14 and 15. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Theatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. God's grace, mercy, and peace are yours in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So I I heard this story uh, a number of years ago, and, and I'm sure anyway, it's a story that maybe you have heard as well about a you know, a, a young girl, she's probably about second or third grade, and, and as uh, she's on her way home from school one day, um, it's taking longer than it should have. And so now mom, who is waiting for her young daughter to come home from school, is starting to begin and look at the clock and say, she should be home by now. wonder what has happened along the way. She begins to move over towards the front windows of the house where she can see out down the street and, and wondering I should be able to see my daughter arriving soon, walking down the sidewalk towards home. But still no sign of her daughter. And so as you can imagine, her anxiety begins to mount a little bit more. And she's wondering, well, should I go out and start looking and walking the path that she would take home from school? She paces a little bit more and she looks out the window again and she's thinking, I need to make a phone call or two, or maybe I should check with her friends or call her friend's mother, see if if they know where she might be. And so just about ready to walk out the door, she checks out the front window again, and there she is. She's on the sidewalk walking towards the house. Well, as parents, you recognize maybe, maybe this has happened where all the worry and anxiety is now when you know she's safe and on her way in the front door, looks more like, Anger. <laughs> Can't believe you put me through this, and you're fine. You know, <laughs> but anyway, so she comes in the front door, and Mom greets her with, where have you been? Do you realize what time it is, how long it's taken you to get home? You should have been home ages ago. And so now the little girl is in a moment of, well, defensiveness. I mean, she's going to say, what took so long to get home? And she begins to tell her mom the story of, On her way home from school that day, she saw a classmate who was bringing home one of the the end-of-the-year art projects that uh, they had so dutifully made, and, well, she had dropped it. Her classmate had dropped that art project, and it had broken, broken into pieces, and so she was devastated at the, just, she had been looking forward to bringing home this art project, showing it to her parents, and so this little girl stops. And, uh, and she sits there with the girl who has dropped her art project is, and, and in her tears and kind of scraping the pieces together. And, and at the, this moment, the mother interrupts her and says, well, that doesn't make any sense that you would stop for that reason. I mean, it's broken at that point. You didn't really think you could put it back together or fix it, did you? And the little girl says, no, Mom, I... I knew I couldn't fix it or put the art project back together. Then what on earth did you stop for? Why did you wait? Why did you stay there so long? And the little girl says, again, 
I, know she, I knew I couldn't fix it, but she needed somebody to cry with her. She needed somebody to cry with her. And so that's what this little girl was an example of, I think, is recognizing that sometimes somebody needs you. And it may not be what we think it would be for, to fix it, put it back together, but it might just be to be present, to share the moment, to be there when somebody needed her. And that's really what I hope to, you know, I think as we look at Acts chapter 16 today, I think that's a key component of what this message is about, is somebody needs you. Somebody needs you. I hope you hear that and can receive that personally. Somebody needs you. And then as we look at Paul and his companions and what happens there in Philippi, I, I think you'll see some powerful moments as we go through this story together. And so that's what I'd like to do in these next few moments is just share some thoughts from Acts chapter 16. And the first one will be go to help. If you're taking notes or following along with the outline, it's simply go to help. And so you heard this read already by Lee, but I'd like to emphasize a few things with it again. So during the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. Come help us. We need somebody to help us. So after Paul had seen the vision, they got ready at once to leave for Macedonia. So that's Paul and his traveling companions concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So that's what they mean by calling for help. We need somebody to bring the gospel to us. We need help. Now, on this memorial weekend, I gathered a little bit of information. It was astounding to me. I mean, I know I've spent enough time with history. I know some of the numbers and people who, you know, service members who went and served in foreign lands. But as I went to the, veteran, the U.S. Department of Veteran Affairs, I found out some startling numbers, to me anyway. Service members who answered the call in World War I, almost five million U.S. service members went over to Europe and fought in World War I. And those who died in battle, those who gave their life in that service, and that, this number does not include any who were wounded, it's just those who actually died and gave their life as a sacrifice in that service was over 50,000 service members in World War I. World War II, as you can imagine, a startling number here, over 16 million answered the call. Over 16 million U.S. service members went answered that call and almost 300,000 gave their life in that service. In the Korean War, it was just under 2 million that served around uh, in that conflict, and it was over, well, over 33,000 who gave their life in battle. In Vietnam, and this is Southeast Asia only, Vietnam, there were 3.5 million service members, and almost 50,000 gave their lives. And then when we speak about the global war on terror, we don't have numbers yet. Numbers keep rising. Service members keep giving and going and sacrificing. And so as Paul he receives this vision of the Macedonian man asking for help and concluding that God was calling them, 
We have had service members in this country answer that call over and over again. And as an example, I think, of what Paul says, the call was made and they went. Concluded that God was calling them and they went according to the need. And they gave all that they had to give. So, brothers and sisters, friends, the call remains. And the call is for us. And the need is great. People need the gospel. Paul saw this as a great opportunity and a call for him personally and a call for his team. It says they concluded that they must go and so they went without delay. We have, a, as our, part of our mission statement here at Grace, that we will invest our lives in bringing people into a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. We have both opportunity and God's call. Because the, great, the need is great. The need is great. Not only going to help, second point would be go to them. Go to them. So if you'll indulge me for just a moment, I know this is a silly old story, a joke that's been around for ages, but I think it makes a really important point and application of what we're talking about here as far as going to them. So there's an elderly man, it's winter time, winter evening, and he decides that he'd like to go ice fishing. And so he gathers his gear and tackle and he heads out of the house to go to the local pond. And as he gets to the pond, he walks out on the ice and he gets out his equipment and his ice auger and his fishing pole and different things. He starts to set up and, and then he starts to drill that hole in the ice. And as he's augering into the ice, he hears this booming voice from overhead that says, there are no fish under the ice. He's startled for a minute. Thought, well, that's pretty helpful, good fishing advice. So he gathers up his stuff and he walks over to another area and he sets up, you know, puts his stuff down, gets the auger out, starts drilling another hole in the ice, and uh, all of a sudden he hears another voice from above. There are no fish under the ice. Well, a little startled, but okay, thanks for the advice. And he picks up his stuff one more time and he heads over to another place and he starts setting up and starts augering one more time. And there's the booming voice again. There are no fish under the ice. He says, is that you, Lord? No, it's the ice rink manager. Stop drilling holes in my ice. <laughs> no fish under that ice. So we ha that's terrible, isn't it? Yeah. We have to go to where they are. We have to go to them. And that's exactly what Paul and his companions do. It says, from Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight to Samothrace. On the move. They had been on the move. In those verses preceding this section in Scripture, it's Paul and his compatriots going one place to another, and it says the Holy Spirit didn't allow them to go into those places and preach the gospel until this night when Paul receives this vision. And he gets up in the morning, I can just almost feel the eagerness, and, the, and he's like, guys, come on! We know where we're going! And so they set out immediately. And they go to them, sailed straight away. And so again, on the move, without delay. And I, I think this is just a perfect example. Paul and his, and his companions, perfect example of having an attitude of Christ. The very attitude of Christ. Where Jesus left heaven, came to earth. Right? There were no sinners in heaven. 
And so He came to be with us sinners. He, came to, he went to those who had need. And He gave His life as a sacrifice for all. An atoning sacrifice for all of us. All people. Everywhere and all places and all times. The Scriptures tell us that He came from heaven to hear, to seek, and to save. And as we just said in the Nicene Creed, He came for us and for our salvation. So again, I think Paul, in this way, heading out to go to them, wherever they were, to hear the Gospel, it is that example of following Jesus Christ who left heaven and came to us to seek us because of His great love for us. So we go to help. We go to them. And the next point would be go to church. Well, that almost sounds like an obvious statement for everybody here this morning, right? You're already here. So being told, I guess we can skip point three, right? No, I've got some good stuff in point three, so we're going to say it anyway. So anyway, go to church. Now, just a little over a week ago, and again, I'll have to ask for some indulgence in this for a moment, but a little over a week ago, Shelby was home and friends were over and we were sitting around the dining room table. And to be honest, I cannot even remember if we were eating dinner or if we were playing a game or what we were doing around the dining room table. But here's the critical thing about what was happening. We had the Cubs game on in the background. <laughs> and so we were listening to the Cubs play baseball, and it was just kind of going on, but it wasn't going well. We were losing, and, uh, and so it's going later on in the game, and probably listening a little bit less, and you know, just you know, not paying as much attention to what was happening there as what was happening around our dining room table. And then suddenly, Shelby says, shh! Something great is about to happen. So we stopped talking and whatever we were doing, and, and we start listening to the game more intently. And, and so there's the commentators are talking play by play and pitch. Nothing great happened. I look at Shelby and she looks at me, and I said, oh, we just wait and we listen. And another pitch. Nothing great happened. I look at Shelby and I said, what are you talking about? You know, how do you know? What do you mean something great's going to happen? And she says, well, I have this app on my phone that notifies me whenever there's something great that happens in the game, MLB TV must just be a little bit behind because my phone just signaled that something happened. Next pitch, crack. That majestic sound of the baseball bat hitting that nine-inch sphere, launching it through the air. We're listening the crowd. We can hear the crowd going wild. The commentators are excited. It's a home run. Cubs win. I looked at Shelby and I said, that was great. <laughs> that was a great thing. <laughs> but you know, things changed all of a sudden in that moment when we believed that something great was about to happen. I mean, like I said, we had almost tuned out the game. We were engaged in other things around that table. And, but when she said, something great is going to happen, something great is about to happen, I'm convinced that that's what is happening here in Paul's story. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected. They expected something great to happen. And so on the Sabbath, they went out to this place by the river to find a place of prayer. You see, in that day, it culturally and spiritually, it required ten Jewish men and living in a place before they would build a synagogue. So what we know to be true, since there's no synagogue, there were not even 
at least 10 Jewish men in the area. And so Paul says, we're going to go somewhere where we can find people who will be praying. And they go expecting to find something. And they go, and they are not disappointed. Because as they go, it says, to find a place of prayer, we sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. Paul expected good things. He expected great things to be happening. And he, as I said, he was not disappointed. He found people praying. And he found the Holy Spirit at work. And so he went with great expectation. And so I think in this moment, when, when we're talking about going to church, it's us coming to church expecting great things to happen when we are gathered together at church. We know certain things to be true. We know that God is present and He welcomes us into His presence and He delivers His gifts of love and grace without fail. And we can come with great expectation, expecting great things, expecting to hear God's Word and to, from that Word to receive comfort and peace, guidance and perspective, his love. As you hear and receive His Word, you receive Him and His love for you. We can expect to receive grace when we come. In just a few moments, we will gather at Christ's table where He is the host. And He will take our brokenness and He will give us His grace. We will receive from Him. We will receive Him. We also have already received forgiveness. As you heard those precious words spoken to you in the stead and by the command of our Savior that told you you are forgiven. You are forgiven and cleansed. All things in the past are gone. And so we have those assurances and the gifts of God's grace given to us. We have been reminded again that we are redeemed. Our debt has been canceled in the love and atoning sacrifice of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so we have peace. We have peace with the Almighty God, knowing that we are forgiven and then having the opportunity to have peace because we forgive others. Peace. And just so you know, I mean, maybe, did you know that going to church makes you healthier, makes you live longer? There's actually some research done on this. I find it fascinating. Church attenders, when they do go to the hospital, tend to stay three times shorter than people who do not attend church. I don't know, that sounds pretty good. Heart patients. Heart patients are 14 times more likely to pass away following surgery than of those who attend church on a regular basis. See, attending church is good for your heart in many ways. Church attenders have a stroke rate of half of the general population of those who do not attend church. And then the last thing, church attenders are less depressed, and when we do become depressed, we recover more quickly. So what does all this mean? Well, one, it means we're not exempt, right? I mean, we still have suffering and trials, heartaches. We're not exempt. But going to church, God gives us gifts that really have tangible impact as well as eternal impact. God gives us great gifts. And so, 
while we're not exempt, being present seems to have benefits. And when we come by faith, when we enter this place and receive God's gifts by faith, that's when they become ours. Just like Lydia, the Lord opened her heart to respond. So go to church. The Lord will open our hearts to respond. And our final point would be go together. Go together. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. I had the blessing of sitting with Vern Wagner this past week in her room at the hospital and ICU. She primarily attends our 8.30 service. She's a choir member and she has some grandchildren here at our school. And so she's just been a, a wonderful blessing of an individual to get to know and be blessed by. And, and, uh, and so as I mentioned, I sat with her in her hospital room this past week. And she was retelling me some of the stories, right? This began uh, months ago with a fourth bout of cancer. Fourth time fighting cancer. And as I have visited with her over these past few months, her attitude and her spirit has always been, God is sustaining me, God is giving me courage, and we're going to win again. We're going to win again. But now recently, we found out that she has kidney stones, some on multiple kidney stones, some the size of a quarter. And they were preparing to do surgery to take care of those kidney stones, thinking that that would help her in her fight against the cancer, and it was so draining on her. But then just this last week, they found a tear in her colon. It's been leaking toxins inside her. And so the word that she had received the morning that I was with her was that it was days maybe months, with the treatment she's receiving. And so we sat together, and we spoke of God's grace. We prayed together. And this is one of the things she said to me. She's thinking back on that fourth, I mean, the first, the first time with cancer, and she says, because she's talking about some of the friends that she has all around this country, believers that have walked beside her. They've done this together. And she says, I would have died during the first cancer if it had not been for my brothers and sisters in the Lord. She's convinced that she would have died the first time if it hadn't been that she had somebody to walk through this with together. And then she says to me, and so I express this on her behalf, because I asked her if I could share this with you all this morning. And she says, well, please tell everybody, thank you. She says, thank you for my Grace family. She says, thank you for you, for your love that she has received from the people here in this family, this place, because she is convinced that we do this life together. And I think that's what Lydia was also saying, that we do this life together. The Lord opened Lydia's heart, and so she opened her home to Paul and his companions. She says, we have a common bond. We are all members of the one baptized family. And while we share, we share in hardships as well as victories. We share in love and grace. And so I think as Lydia is staying there talking with Paul, she says, 
Who do you see? What do you see? What do we see when we look at one another? Who do we see as we look at one another? We look at those who we walk together in this life. Lydia persuades them, I think, to say, see me as one of you. See me as one of you. And she persuaded them. And they went together. A redeemed member, one who had been saved by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we walk together. Those who have been saved, redeemed by the Lord Jesus Christ. To God be the glory. Amen.